All right. Wow. I told first service, Pastor Jason promised me that Karen's hope story being today was an actual accident. But I'll believe him. Uh, so that's a good introduction. Uh, my name is Joe, and uh, that's, that's my wife, Karen. Um, we've been... Uh, We've been attending Hope City for about about three years now, and my wife and I have been married for a little over 10 years. Just to kind of give you a little story of who I am, um, we have three kids. Uh, my my in-laws are here today to see me, so I'm super excited about that. Um, and uh, we serve here alongside Pastor John and Christine in high school and middle school ministry, and I also uh, am part of a group of guys here at the church um, Right now, we're doing a, a thing called SoCon, which is like a, a workout exercise group and a devotional. Uh, it's a lot of grown men sending gifts about working out and making fun of each other <laughs> in an encouraging, loving way, going, hey, dude, it's 14 degrees. You still going to run today? So uh, that's, that's uh, who I am here at, uh, at Hope City. And if, if you're a visitor today or you're kind of feeling us out, like you came for Christmas and you're back today and you're... You've made a, a choice to, to kind of try out church for a few months for the new year. Um, I suggest coming back. Keep coming. Um, we fell in love with this place, and, and it's been an absolute life changer, um, a, a testament to God's power in this house working in people's lives. Right. All right. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Jason came to me and said, hey, Joe. I was like, yes, sir. He's like, let's go to breakfast, and I want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. Know that if Pastor Jason ever asks you to go to breakfast, two things. You're going to go to Cracker Barrel, and he wants you to ask you something. <laughs> so we went, to, we went to Cracker Barrel, and um, over breakfast, he told me, he's like, hey, I want you to, I want you to speak to uh, church one day. And I was like, well, uh, when is that? Because I need to get prepared. Um, and he told me I was going to do New Year's Eve. And I thought, oh, okay, New Year's Eve. And instantly in my head, just so you let you know what kind of guy I am, I was like, I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions. I'm not talking about New Year's. I'm just going to come and, and have a message of, of hope, and it'll be great. And uh, with that being said, I would like to uh, talk to you guys about the tradition of New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions. <laughs> It was too on the nose. You guys, we all know that today is New Year's Eve, so why not talk about making a resolution? See, this is who I am. God will tell me something. I'm like, nah, not right now. Or, hey, let me work on it later. I'm like, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. So here's some things about New Year's resolution. By show of hands, in this room, is anybody planning on making a New Year's resolution for 2018? Like, hey, 2018, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read more books, or I'm going uh, to not yell at my kids anymore, or, well, come on. You know, I heard you all the way from Guatemala. <laughs> so, or maybe, maybe you're going to go back to school. I'm going to get that degree, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and become that nurse or doctor, or, you know, whatever people do now. Um, Stop it. I'm cracking myself up. So if you looked around, you saw the hands go up. It's kind of like, you know, 40% or so. On average, 48% of people 
choose December 31st to make a resolution for themselves. They say that today is the day that I draw the line in the sand. Today is the day that I'm going to better myself. I'm going to work on my marriage. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. They decide that today is the day. Well, there's nothing new about New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions. See, back about 4,000 years, the Babylonians used to do a harvest festival. And when they would harvest crops, they would take a section of it, set it apart, and they would give it as an offering for the new year, which for them was in the fall because they were farmers. So it was kind of like, hey, this is a start over. Fast forward to the Roman times, and you know the Romans like to shake things up a bit. So they were like, hey, we're going to take your tradition, and we're going to move it to January and that's the calendar we follow now, so January is the first of the year. And January is named after a Roman god, and his, his name is Janus. And Janus is a two-faced being. Um, you see him on coins. You see him on, uh, uh, there's a thing called Criterion Collection. He's on the face of that. But anyway, he looks forward and he looks back. The Romans believed that the god of Janus was like the, the one that overseen doorways and pathways. And they would offer up offerings to him to look forward to something new. Well, let's fast forward a little bit more to 1740, and we find an English clergyman, and his name was John Wesley. And John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. And John Wesley decided to do something that's still popular to this day. He took something from normal culture and wanted to put a Christian twist on it. So he went, hey, these guys are making a resolution. These guys are planning to make a change. I'm going to sprinkle a little Jesus on it. So he says, like, chunk or treat, hallelujah nights. He's like, we're going to change it, and we're going to call it night watch service. And see, night watch services are still kind of common to this day. And what, what it is is people gathered on New Year's in the evening, and they would sing songs and sing hymns. There would be a message. It would go on and on all night long. My father-in-law uh, pastored a church in Florida for many, many, many years, and they would do night watch services, and what they would do at the end of service at midnight, they would go outside, they'd light fireworks, ring in the new year, but it wasn't over. Then the congregation would grab hymnals, and they would go and do caroling to people's houses. So we have no plan today to get hymnals and go to your neighbor's house and sing songs at two o'clock in the morning. We're not going to do that, uh, but if you decide to have your own night watch service, I would suggest putting on a pot of coffee because that sounds like a long, boring night. <laughs> okay. So from January to October, about 160 million people Google New Year's resolutions. So this tells me that for a whole year, people make plans to make plans to make a change. Anybody in the room a procrastinator? One day, I'm going to wait until the end of the year to make a change for next year instead of doing it right now. So they have made a plan. They, there's a plan in place to make a plan to make a change, right? People plan and aspire to get healthier, to get more organized, to save money, to take a trip around the world, to, you know, go on vacation. And what, what this tells me is that there is a desire in us to better ourselves. We want some sort of improvement. We want to make some sort of choice, some sort of resolution to make 
things different in our life. Well, see, here's another fact about New Year's resolutions, and if you've been alive and done New Year's resolutions for a long time, you would probably figure this out. New Year's resolutions have about an 8% success rate. So on January, on January 1st, December 31st, you decide to draw the line in the sand. I'm going to make a change. There's nothing magical about tonight that's going to make it stick. You can make it December 31st. You can make it March 3rd. You can make it your birthday. There's nothing magical about that change today. I wrote this, is that our desire for self-improvement is greater than our fear of failure. We all know we want to make a change, and we make plans to make that change. It shows that if there's an 8% failure rate, if we were worried about failing, New Year's Eve would have no significance. People would be like, oh, this doesn't work. Let's just forget this holiday and go on into the new year. But I think that our resolve to continue once adversity sets in keeps us from meeting our goal. When you come against resistance, when you come against a problem, when you come against hard times, those 10 pounds that you wanted to lose, that, that plan to go back to school, that plan to be a better wife or a better husband gets difficult, it's easy to give up on that plan, right? So since I've kind of successfully bummed everybody out about New Year's and how resolutions don't work, I want to... I want to spend a little time in the Bible today and share hope. Share hope about a resolution or about a change in your life that you want to make and that there is hope to make that change. New Year's resolution or not, in 2018, there will come times that you're going to have a setback, that the resolutions that you make will face resistance. So, I'm going to read a part in John 21. If you want to go to that in your Bible, I'm going to kind of bounce in and out of it. I don't have a lot of scripture to read, but I do have some points. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, it's on the Sky Bible behind me, so you can just read that there. That's a joke from a podcast. See, who knows that when I'm I'm like podcast junkie, I listen to preachers all day long. So that's a joke from a guy named Judah Smith. That's what they call their Sky Bible. So in John 21, it says that in the, the, the header, it says Jesus appears to the seven disciples. It says in John 21, it says later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And see what this is, is that this is the, this is the original spoiler alert to this story. See, the author John writes this story about Jesus and about Peter and himself after the fact. See, we know that Jesus defeated the grave. We know that he rose, and we know that he sits in heaven reigning on high, right? We know that today. But at this point in the story, what Peter and John know is that Jesus has been crucified, and he is in a tomb. See, they are facing the ultimate resistance. So it goes on to say that there were several disciples there with Simon Peter. And it goes on and gives a little shortcut of who they were. And then Simon Peter makes this statement about his current condition. He says, I'm going fishing. 
Peter hits a line to his friends, and it's an ultimate disgust. It's an ultimate just moment of give up. See, Peter was a fisherman, and before in, in Luke 5, Jesus met Peter on that same shore of the Sea of Galilee. See, it's on that same shore that Jesus called Peter out to become a fisher of men. But at that moment, Jesus had died. And Peter saw the things that he had invested his life in, the last three years of his life in, gone. Jesus' kingdom had not come. The Romans were still in power. There was still sickness and disease. And Peter, instead of following the teachings of Jesus and still going to proclaim his message, what does he do? He throws his hands up and goes back to what he used to do. He's like, forget it. I'm going fishing. That's all I know how to do. My situation is just, is just overwhelming. I thought I made a change. I thought Jesus was the answer. Forget it. I'm just going to go fishing. See, what I thought about Peter when you hear that Jesus calls him to be a fisherman, I thought that Peter was a fisherman. You know, sitting on the dock of the bay with a cane pole, waiting for a couple bluegills or maybe a catfish if he got lucky. But see, you know, Peter was a fisherman. He think more like Mark Wahlberg in a perfect storm. Think like deadliest catch. Think like he was the original Gordon's fisherman. Peter was the guy that got the fish sticks into the freezer aisle. This is who that guy was. He was a real fisherman. Like, this dude did it. And when Peter is found on the Sea of Galilee for the first time in Luke 5, Jesus goes to him and says, Man, you know what? Hi, my name is Jesus. I'm starting this new ministry. And guess what? I am the Messiah. I'm the guy that you've heard your whole life about that was going to come and make all things new. I'm the guy that's going to come and set a new kingdom on this earth. I'm the guy that's going to fulfill healings and remove sickness. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, whoa, you're this guy? And boom, right there in that moment, Peter made a choice. He made a resolution to agree with Jesus to say who he was. You see, Peter had a lot to lose to make that decision. He owned boats. He had crews, equipment. This was not an easy choice for him to make. This wasn't something he probably did half-heartedly. Like, it wasn't, like I said, like he had a cane pole he bought from Walmart, and you just throw it off, and, well, I ain't got nothing better to do. Let's go follow this guy. No, he had his whole life invested. He had a crew. He had, a, he had friends that worked for him, and he made that decision. He understands when you make a decision, it affects the people around you. So what did Peter do? He's like, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. Guys, let's go. He took his friends with him, and they went with him. And see, this is a strategic moment in Jesus' ministry. See, at that time, this is when he was revealing himself to people, saying who he was. And at that moment, Peter, uh, Jesus was doing it by sandal and by donkey. Well, who knows that Peter had a boat? Hey, Peter, 
my good buddy. I can imagine like Jesus like, hey, hey, bud, what's going on? You know, this boat here on the Sea of Galilee, I bet it goes way faster if we go across the water than around it. And see, Jesus called Peter to use that boat to reach the people on this side of the Sea of Galilee, that side of the Sea of Galilee, and this side of the Sea of Galilee. See, Jesus has a strategic plan for people at strategic moments in their life. See, I think that some people think that the Bible is for the meek, or the Bible is for the downtrodden, or the Bible is just for the widow or the orphan, and that's true. But see, Jesus uses a businessman, a guy that had worldly gain to use for his good. So that, this right here, this story also shows that how not to be prideful and say, I don't need a savior. I got everything under control. Look at my boat. Look at my fish. I've got it going on. Peter recognizes that. He made a resolution. He made a choice to forsake all of his worldly gains and go with Jesus. We'll pick back up in 21 here, and this is where the spoiler alert comes in. This is where John tells us that Jesus had died, and we find Peter saying, I'm going fishing. And see, in Luke 21, 3, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And we hear, well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out all night, and they caught nothing at all. And just like I said earlier, when you make a choice, it affects the people around you. Here again, Peter made another choice, and it affected the people around him. Instead of going back out, they reverted back to fishing. And in the story, and isn't it funny that when you revert back to something that you've given up, you're not even good at it? Man, I'm going to be the perfect parent, and it fell apart. And then you go back right at yelling and hollering and screaming again. God, I've decided that I don't want to drink no more. You've had a bad day. And next thing you know, you're eight beers in and, and it's a bad night. You've decided that you've made a resolution and you've given up on it and you've reverted back to something that isn't profitable. I look at it in verse, in verse 3 when Peter says, I'm going fishing to maybe something that you've said. My kids are crazy. I give up. My spouse isn't Mr. or Mrs. Perfect yet. I'm going to file the paperwork because it's over. A passport's $350. A ticket on an airplane's $1,000. How am I ever going to go on this dream trip? I just can't afford it. Or maybe you might say this. Your workout partner quit on you. And next thing you know, it's 11 o'clock at night. You're on the couch watching Netflix thinking, oh, Halo ice cream's only 190 calories for the whole pint. <laughs> it's not like I'm all the way off the bus. Like I didn't fall all the way down. It's, it's not that bad. So you can justify your resistance. You can say, oh, I'm not as bad as I used to be. It's not that bad. You know, last night I saw my daughter. She wasn't watching Netflix. She was watching YouTube over a Halo ice cream. Like this. I'm like, Linux. And then I'm like, ah, she's six. She'll burn it off. No worries. See, for me, my, my Luke 21 moment, just like when, when Peter, we find Peter where his Jesus died, I have a very Luke 21 moment too. It's, 
And see, growing up, I didn't live in a very religious home. Like, I went to Catholic school, and we would go to Mass when my dad made us. But when I was 20 years old, just like Peter, he lost Jesus. I lost my dad. And for a long time in my life, my father was what I would consider my, my inspiration, my purpose. I wanted to make him happy. I wanted, to, I wanted to be with him. When he worked too much, when he was home, I was at his feet, whatever he wanted to do. I'd go out in the garage and make him twice as slow on whatever job he was working on because I wouldn't get out of his way because I just wanted to be around him. And, and when I lost him, I didn't have a... I didn't, have a good re- I didn't have a good resolution. I didn't have a, a good uh, resist. I had a lot of resistance, I'm sorry. See, instead of pushing in and pressing in and figuring out who I should be without my father or who, who I should be or what I wanted to do with my life, I spent the next six years of my life being that 20-year-old that was crushed. And I spent it drinking. I spent it feeling ashamed. I, I spent it feeling lost because the thing that guided me through my life was gone. I was just like Peter. Instead of Peter going, I'm going fishing, I, I was going drinking. And that, that issue, it affected the people around me because I was the one that was like, hey, guys, let's go. And when I'm early 20s, I had a great job, and, and I, was, uh, I was the life of the party because I paid 200 bucks a month in rent and had no car payment. So when Joe got paid every two weeks, I had tons of free money. So I had tons of free friends. Oh, I got it. Come on. Come on. Keith knows. He's back there. Holla. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Hilarious. So, but let me tell you the hope that's in this story. The hope that I wish I had at 20 and not at 26. Right? And that hope comes in verse 4. At dawn... Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples could not tell who it was. He calls out. See, Jesus calls out to us in our situation. Jesus calls out to where we are at in our setback, where we are at in the middle of our resistance to our resolution, when we are not where we are supposed to be or not what we are wanting to do with our life. Jesus calls out to us. And what does he say To those men, see, religious people would have you believe that he calls out with condemnation or judgment. Jesus calls out with with, what the Bible translates from a couple different translations, a term of endearment. He yells out, hey, fellas, have you caught anything? Have you caught any fish? In the Greek translation, he doesn't say fellas, he says children. He's calling them. He's like, hey, I'm your dad. Hey, kids. Kids, how are y'all doing? See, Jesus doesn't ask what you're doing. He wants to know how you're doing. He's more concerned about what you're, how you are doing than what you are doing. Where you are at in your relationship with him than where you are at in your worldly status, right? They reply, these trained professionals, these we know what we're doing, these Fishermen, we, we got a goose egg. We've reverted back to where we were before we knew you, and we're not even good at it. We can't do it like we used to. It doesn't work. 
See, when he yells out, hey, fellas, I picture Jesus yelling out to me going, bro, bro, you okay? Fellas, are you okay? See, when he's concerned about our condition more than our location, it just shows the heart of who he is. And see, this is where it pays to write the story. See, this book is called the book of John, and John's in this story. So it pays to be the author. John says that he is the one that recognizes Jesus' voice. So they're like, hey, who's this guy that's telling us to throw these nets on this side of the boat? Oh, it's Jesus. Well, when they had recognized who was... When they were throwing the nets on the other side of the boat from this guy that they didn't know who it was, they caught the biggest catch that they had. See, Jesus, he could have realized that Peter wanted to go back to just being a fisherman and showed him how to be worldly successful. Peter, you tried it your way. It ain't working. Here, here, do it this way. And if you want to stay a fisherman, listen, you've got the skills again. I know you spent three years with me, but here, let me show you. This is how you do it, right? But that's not what God wants for him. What God wants for him is to come back to him. And when he calls out, and Jesus calls out and says, hey, fellas, have you caught any fish? Throw it on the other side. John recognized that voice. And see, just like I told you earlier, it was important how you react to resistance and how it affects people around you. Isn't it important the people that are around you affect you? It's important to have a friend that can recognize the voice of God, and say, hey, that's Jesus calling you out. You might be so far back into your fishing, back into your pity party, back into I can't even do it right anymore, that you don't recognize the voice that's calling you home. And so John's like, hey, Peter, that's Jesus. And at that moment, This is the thing, my prayer for us is that we would be like Peter in this moment. See, Peter has a moment, and he does what Peter does. He has that that Peter-like faith, that Peter-like zeal. Oh, it's Jesus? He doesn't tell the guys to row the boat. What's he do? He jumps out and swims. Some theologians say that he swam a football field back to the shore. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could beat a boat a football field back to the beach. I mean, I think Peter might have been a dolphin. I don't think that Peter, I don't think Michael Phelps wants to drag race Peter. If he's willing to say, listen, I've been a fisherman my whole life, I think I can outswim this. He's like Waterworld with them little special gills. I'm old, guys. It's a really old movie reference. Peter goes. He goes with zeal. He goes with, I need Jesus. And then what does Peter, what does Jesus do when they're on the shore? He puts his arm around Peter. He waits for the other guys to show up with the boat. Because, you know, he probably, Jesus looks at Peter and goes, it's ridiculous. You could have, we ought to wait it. I mean, I came out of the tomb. I could wait three minutes for you to row the boat in. You don't have to swim over here. And he, he waited for the other guys to come. Because it's important. This shows us that, that Jesus will wait So you don't leave anybody behind. He's coming to bring everybody home, correct? So he brings them all together. He sits them down with the Bible that says that they caught 153 large fish. The biggest catch they'd ever had. 
And, and what does Jesus do? In verse 12, I mean, sorry, in verse, sorry, yeah, in verse 12, John 21, he says, now, come have some breakfast. Oh, come on. How glorious were those breakfast fish tacos. I mean, Chef Jesus on the beach with some tacos. He doesn't come with condemnation. He doesn't come with judgment. Jesus doesn't come and look at them and go, I handpicked you three years ago in this same place and set you apart to go do my mission. No, he, he came right back in the same place he picked him out three years ago and did the same thing he did back then. He loved him. He put his arm around him. He filleted that fish. He put a little cabbage on it, a little mayo. What's up for lunch? Jesus made these delicious breakfast tacos with Peter and the rest of the guys, and he talked to them, and he he loved on them. And I know this because in, in John 21, 15, after breakfast, Jesus sits with Peter and asks him three times if he loved him. He reaffirms Peter's commitment to him. He doesn't say, Peter, you're a screw-up. He doesn't say, Peter, you can't get it together. He doesn't say, Peter, why are you even trying anymore? He just asks him, he says, do you love me? And Peter's like, of course I love you. And then Peter and Jesus have the same question again. He's like, but do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. And then Jesus asks him one more time, he says, If you love me, will you take care of my sheep? And this just speaks to Peter. It speaks to me and my hard-headedness. He said he got mad. Peter got got upset. He's like, Jesus, I told you I love you. I think that that's a great moment in the Bible in this story that it just shows that God is okay with your frustration. If you fail five times, the Bible says the righteous fail and they get up seven times. It doesn't mean that on the eighth time you're condemned. It just means just do it again. Just do it again. Peter is found, and he is frustrated. He's like, yes, Jesus, I love you. I know you've asked me, but I do love you. Then he says, go feed my sheep. Peter has a moment in his resistance where Jesus says, hey, I know you've made this commitment. Make this commitment again, and I'll be there with you. And Peter goes on, and He becomes the the rock that the church is built on. We know that Peter stayed with that commitment because we're here today. We're hearing that story. I want to pray for for us now and and, and close. My prayer today is that if, if somebody needs to have that moment of zeal, that God, I'm, I'm away from you. And I need to jump in that water and swim that football field back to you. Or if you are so downtrodden that you've given up and you've went fishing for the third, fourth, a hundredth time, that you just desire to have that breakfast meeting with Jesus. And look, a side note that isn't it important to see that when Jesus has this meeting with his friends, he doesn't wait. They're stinky, they're covered in fish water, they're gross. And he's like, we're going to do it right now. And I think that it's important to understand that for us today, first thing in the morning, have that meeting with God. Have breakfast with Jesus. 
I mean, you, you would have no better company than to spend time with the God of eternity.